Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. I know it's been NFT mania the past few years in terms of the amount of coverage in the press, but as the NFT market rose and has now crashed in many ways, the one thing I always wondered is where's the curatorial support? Where are the museums? Where's the curatorial writing? Is anyone thinking about any of this critically? Because I think like traditional art, if NFTs want to be relevant in the long run, it's museums and curators that will be largely the reason why. But this week, Zachary Small, a reporter for the New York Times, wrote a great article in the paper revealing that actually major museums have been embracing and supporting certain digital artists. It's just been a little bit under the radar because of all the focus on the NFT market. So we wanted to have Zachary on to chat with us about the extent to which museums are supporting this medium and what the future may hold for cultural institutions and NFTs. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Zachary, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course. So this is really interesting because there was so much focus on the NFT market that it felt like museums hadn't been supporting any of these artists who work with NFTs, blockchain, virtual reality, artificial intelligence. But now all of a sudden they're here right in front of us. You wrote a great article in the New York Times sharing some of the museums, prominent museums that are supporting these artists. But before we discuss some of the reasons why they're doing this, tell us about a few of the notable museums that are embracing them and how exactly they're doing that. Right. And, and so just before I get into that, I wanted to you know get back to what you mentioned first, which was during this whole mania of NFTs, uh, one thing that stood out to a lot of people, including a lot of collectors, was, hey, where are the curators here? Where are sort of, you know, the gatekeepers who are deciding what's the good stuff and what's the bad stuff in the market, uh, but also just like in terms of, you know, the quality of the art. Um, that was a, a huge concern. And what this article really found out was, you know, they might have been a little bit quiet, but during kind of the entire boom of NFTs, museums and curators were involved. Uh, and certainly one of the drivers, one of the incentives for their involvement was because of the pandemic and how the pandemic affected both their attendance records and their income. Um, so, you know, I think that's important to mention because sometimes what's lost in these discussions is this like sort of, um, you know, the, the realistic stakes here for museums and for the art world. And we get stuck in this sort of like connoisseurship of like, oh, well, is the NFT truly art? And I, I think that is oftentimes a distraction. If an artist is making it, it's art, you know, we're in the 21st century. So um, when we're looking at the different museums that have done this, one of probably the biggest examples uh, is from the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Um, so last year they had this partnership with an artist called Rafik Anadol, who, you know, rose to popularity through NFTs and has done a lot with artificial intelligence over the years. Uh, he's very famous for that. And you're going to see him popping up everywhere. Uh, he also worked on an opera that's coming up in New York. So you know, he, he's very, very popular now. But last summer, he 
uh, used artificial intelligence to look through MoMA's publicly accessible archive of like 138,000 images and texts to create work. He made um, dozens, if not hundreds of NFTs, sold them. And in the fine print of this sale, uh, which MoMA, MoMA did not quite advertise themselves, uh, in the fine print of this sale, uh, MoMA received a sixth of all primary profits uh, from the sale. And some of these works went for tons of money. I mean, we're talking about like one edition of an NFT went for $200,000. So this was really a, a boon both for the artist and for MoMA. Um, two curators at MoMA were also spearheading this initiative to look at Web3, this sort of broader idea of, you know, another revolution in the internet, if that is to be. Um, but the curators, Paola Antonelli and Michelle Kuo, both have been very seriously investigating sort of what NFTs and Web3 could mean for MoMA. Um, you know, one of the donors of MoMA, William Paley, has a $70 million sale coming up to benefit MoMA and expand the museum's digital footprint. Um, so in a very big way, all at once, MoMA is stepping up their digital art game, uh, making money off of NFTs, and Rafiq Anadol, uh, come the end of this month, is going to actually have an exhibition in the public lobby of the museum. Well, it's hard to do any better than MoMA, so that's exciting that they're on board. And I'm curious to see what that all looks like once it's really a regular part of their programming. But tell us, what are some of the primary reasons we're seeing museums and cultural institutions begin to embrace this medium now? Yeah, so I think it's important to remember that museums are these like hulking institutions that are really supposed to have a perspective of like hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. So the fact that they are coming around to this new medium in the middle of a boom where there's a lot of scams and speculation uh, and then a bust where there are even more scams and even arrests with people using NFTs, uh, I, I think is actually pretty profound. Uh, in the article, I, I mentioned sort of a very, very brief history of photography. And photography, of course, was created in the early 1800s in France. And the first American exhibition of photography wasn't for like almost a century. Uh, at that Albright Art Gallery, which is now called the Buffalo AKG Art Museum, um, in a 1910 show. And that show only came about because of the photo secession and Alfred Stieglitz. So, you know, on one hand, you have that sort of trajectory, which took a century. And for NFTs, or if you want to get to like the base technology of a non-fungible token, you know, the blockchain uh, and cryptocurrency, Blockchain was invented about 14 years ago. So, you know, for museums to be working on this within this period of 14 years versus photography century um, is extremely, extremely quick. Now, you asked for some of the reasons behind this. Well, I, I think it's a little bit of what I mentioned earlier. You know, museums are really hurting. Uh, even a big institution like MoMA or maybe especially an institution like MoMA or the Guggenheim has lost a significant amount of its audience and ticket sales because international tourists created most of that, or not maybe most, but created a large amount of that cash flow. Um, so without that, it, it's up to the museum to really think about how they can connect with new audiences. Um, whether or not you participated in the boom around NFTs and 
made money off of it. I think it was really clear that the public was interested in what was happening and was thinking about digital art for maybe the first time uh, in a very significant way and getting excited about digital art. So at the very least, even if you you know, were wary about the speculation, you didn't like what the artists were doing with NFTs, you would see that audiences were receptive and that should tell any good curator that they should be seriously considering the, this sort of platform. So I think we saw a massive speculative bubble for NFTs and now it seems a lot of that market has crashed. In what ways did the rise and subsequent fall impact how museums are working with digital artists and artworks? I mean, it's hard for anyone to ignore it who's in the space. Well, I think what a lot of museums had to do, and, and this is what Paolo Antonelli and Michelle Quote MoMA explained to me, you know, they're like, listen, this has become like more than half of our daily jobs during the bubble was to like figure out what was going on. Um, you know, there's been a lot of marketing around NFTs. And I think a lot of sort of misunderstandings, even though, you know, we've had economists for a while, a lot of misunderstandings about what it means for a bubble to rise. Was there a larger sort of macro picture of the nft bubble yes did it burst certainly it's it's down like 97 percent but then if you go into the art market which in reality you know is a much smaller segment of that world uh it's actually been stable since the bubble burst uh and according to the latest art basel report uh, that was released like yesterday i think um it's like now nine percent nfts are nine percent of collectors' collections, which is more than photography or film. This idea that people in the art world are abandoning NFTs, I don't think is true. Uh, and it, it's certainly not true, obviously, of these museums who are now getting ready to release all these programs they've been working on over the last couple of years. And so now that museums are finally providing a level of curatorial support for some of these digital artists, which was missing, clearly, is there a belief that their markets could stabilize and even flourish. Yeah, I think in many ways, the story of NFTs is the story of many boom and bust cycles. Um, you know, there's actually an exhibition at the New York Public Library right now about the first boom and bust cycle, which was the sea bubble, which is about shipping and trading routes in the 1700s between Europe and North America. Um, and it's actually when the word millionaire was created out of that sea bubble. Um, the story of NFTs, you know, will we see the frothy market that we saw during the bubble where people were spending ridiculous amounts of money? And, and the artists, you know, even Mike Winkleman, aka Beeple, would say the $69.3 million that went for his every days was kind of a ridiculous amount of money. No, I think the secondary market at that level is, you know, based on the data and based on the people that I speak to, uh, is dead and it's not coming back on that level. But as I mentioned before, in terms of the art world and what's happening with collectors and with artists, yeah, I think it's already stabilizing. I, I think, you know, as much as the language and marketing around NFTs as like any new product is, is like, you know, kill the gatekeepers, decentralize, you know, the world and, and give the power to populism. Um, it, it's simply not the case and never really has been in the art world that that happens. Uh, we're seeing a huge recentralization. We're seeing a lot of companies and new startups come out of this, which is great. Um, but ultimately, the the power is still with these major gatekeepers, whether that's Sotheby's and Christie's, um, the major galleries that are now supporting NFTs like Pace, uh, or even a museum like MoMA. 
And so moving forward, where do you see this trend heading? Do you feel like eventually all museums or most museums will be collecting and exhibiting these kinds of artists? Yeah, I, I mean, I go back to what Naomi Beckwith, uh, who's the chief curator at the Guggenheim, said to me for the article, which was like, essentially, if artists are making it, we have to collect it. Um, the sad reality is that most museums are like 20 years behind in terms of their infrastructure for acquiring and supporting and conserving digital art, right? Museums are, are really in the business of conserving this work. And it's hard when you're working with code and and your conservators are used to working with paint and marble. Um, but I think, you know, if artists are making NFTs, and it's certainly right now, whatever you think of blockchain, and although some of the promises of secondary royalties and, and those sorts of things are, are a little bit bogus, it's still artists' best shot at getting secondary market royalties. It's an easy way for artists to sell, you know, if not a physical artwork, certainly some artists are pairing their, you know, NFTs with physical artworks, but um, just digital art itself. So if you believe sort of in that future of digital art uh, and you have a market that has now through a rough boom and bust cycle sort of normalized NFTs as a way to purchase that, um, you know, you don't have really any option but to follow the good artists making work. Zachary, thanks so much again for coming onto the podcast and helping us better understand how museums are finally starting to embrace NFTs and digital artists. It's very fascinating and we'll definitely be following along to see how this trend continues over the next few years and what it means for this market. If our listeners want to read your articles, which they definitely should, they can find you in the New York Times and you're also on social media, often writing about the art world. Where can we find you there? Yeah, so my handle on Twitter is at Zachary H. Small. Um, pretty pretty easy, so you can find me there for sure. Uh, and um, I'm also working on a book about the whole crazy NFT cycle called Token Supremacy. Yeah, that's really exciting. Congrats. Tell us more about the book. I will say it, it's given me a lot of insight in, into what's been happening, not just in the art world with NFTs, but sort of the application of this technology within other aspects of society, you know, people talk about NFTs becoming people's home mortgages or storing medical records. There's all these crazy ways that the art market has kind of been a laboratory for the technology as well. Uh, and I, I think within this sort of frantic cycle to understand NFTs, uh, even some of these museums have maybe made some uh, mistakes with the history of NFTs that this book is going to bring to light. So I'm, I'm really excited to share it with the world when it comes out. Perfect. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back on when it does. Thanks so much again, Zachary. Speak soon. Yeah, thanks so much.